You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Derek Jeter! This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Well, come on in to a Thursday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Warner, alongside Thomas Carinante. The New York Yankees won a baseball game at home that they trailed 7-4 in the 10th, that they trailed 4-0 in the 6th. And yeah, we are going to treat one game like it's the World Series because, God, it felt so good to walk off Grand Slam the Rays down three in the bottom of the 10th. Is everything fixed? Are the Yankees saved? No, no, there's no way of knowing, but they're in a much better position today than they were yesterday. They've called up Oswaldo Cabrera and Estevan Florial, and Ron Marinaccio found his way back to the roster and immediately was used in a high leverage situation, which he succeeded in on Wednesday. Shocker of all shockers, it's almost like someone who, when he's active, is your seventh and eighth inning guy shouldn't be at AAA for no reason. Still working on the whole Clark Schmidt thing. Maybe see you September 1st. Domingo Herman was okay again. Glaber Torres came alive at the end of this game. Josh Donaldson, of course, the big man with the big swing bringing the rain. A lot of people who you didn't want to see up in big scenarios came through and were completely acceptable in this one game that is the season turned around. I don't know. Really tough four-game set coming up with the Blue Jays, but it would have been a lot tougher if they had been eight up on the division instead of 10 up, which is where they are now, 10 up on both Tampa and Toronto, with Toronto coming to town for four. I don't know if the season is saved. I think that Donaldson home run is the biggest swing any Yankee has had all year, all decade, in terms of just changing the feelings changing the structure since the Raul Abanez home run. I don't know if the Yankees have had a bigger home run than that. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you can find us live on YouTube, 2 o'clock Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays. If you want to, I mean, you are on the stream right now, so you probably don't have to go there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to re-listen, but you don't really have to, you specifically, Thomas, because you're on the show, you're, yeah. you're now. So you don't have to go find it. Um, but again, hey, if you're bored, if you're on the train, I know you got to commute tonight. Like, that's where the podcast is. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, how you feeling? Uh, I I legitimately don't know if I would have been alive today if not for that home run. I'm upset because I had enough last night. I didn't experience the home run. I said to myself, I will watch. Because after Rizzo, I was about to turn it off. I said, if they didn't score in the bottom of the eighth, I was done. Rizzo hits the home run, and I said, okay, great. I'll watch till the bottom of the ninth. If they do not score, I am not watching them lose in extras. I set a boundary for myself because I had watched enough shitty baseball for the past two weeks that I was not going to stay up longer after an hour and five-minute rain delay to just get my ass kicked again. Um, so I did not experience this cathartic moment with the rest of the more dedicated Yankees fans. I will be the first to say that I guess I am not dedicated, but no. it brought me to a point and I was fucking pissed. I was talking shit on Donaldson too. 
um, because so many ineffective and just let down at bats before that was left me with just like, whatever pinch hitting Hicks was out of this world. Crazy. Um, Glaber's double play ball with the bases loaded after Pete Fairbanks couldn't throw a strike um, after coming into the game to face Aaron judge infuriating. So I, instead of a continuing the negative discourse and B losing my mind, I said to myself, you know what? Just going to go to bed. We'll see what happens in the morning. Um, I wake up at 3 a.m. to get a notification that Josh Donaldson hit a walk-off grand slam. I am happy for the man. I'm happy for Josh Donaldson. He certainly needed something of that magnitude. I would agree this is one of the most impactful swings at the very least of the past five years. Um, I wish I got to experience it in real time, um, but I had to set limitations for myself. Uh, perhaps I went too far, but I was also waking up at 6.30 to come into the office today to have a little bit of fun, um, and that would have taken me well past my bedtime um, to get adequate sleep. But one of my yeah. most pleasant one of my most pleasant losses ever probably was Friday the Red Sox uh, blown save and, and walk off loss because I had a pretty important dinner and I, for the first time in my life I was like I'm not checking my phone I'm not doing it I will not do it the Yankees at Fenway when we look this shitty I, I will not do that to myself so I go the whole dinner I don't check I check they're up two one in the top of the fifth and I go that's nice but that's not a real lead I checked again in the top of the seventh. Still 2-1, and I checked to the bottom of the 10th with a winning run on third base. And I went, great, they're about to lose, but I experienced absolutely none of it, and I moved on. And then they won the next day. I experienced that game in the same way, the kind of for game, too. I go, I'm not not doing it again. They're going to get swept. I'm not doing it again. And they won, and guess what? It felt just as good. I didn't need to avoid that whole awful, awful – the more Fenway games I can avoid, the better. Yeah, I think think not seeing that moment maybe – Maybe. I don't know. Am I exaggerating here? I think some Yankees fans might be a bit delusional right now, perhaps convinced that this swing is going to turn around the season, Um, perhaps convinced that this is the start of a new run for the Yankees. Um, And maybe you're right. Maybe your magical instincts um, and your feels are correct. Um, However, after what I watched and even seeing the replays and having a great time. I know there was backstory with Josh Donaldson's uncle having a heart attack, being in the hospital is a very great moment for him. Um, I don't know how this changes the calculus of the current iteration of the Yankees. Um, I think the roster moves were positive, but they're not going to move the needle until they actually tangibly move the needle. Um, The concerns here are real. You lose Garrett Cole start and an Esther Cortez start against the Rays. And I'm not bashing the Rays, but you look at the Rays lineup. They're without Kevin Kiermeyer, who's a valuable player for them. Might not be super, super valuable to any other team, but he's valuable to them. They're without Wander Franco. They're without Manny Margot. Um, they're without Mike Zanino. So this team, the manner in which the Yankees have been playing against inferior opponents. The Red Sox are an inferior opponent, folks. I know that the rivalry, it doesn't really matter who's bad and who's not, that it's always going to be played on the same like level field. Um, but having that followed up with this Rays series, who the Rays are competitive, but they're not that good. I, I don't see how this changes anything. The Yankees were getting punked by Corey Kluber until Glaber Torres finally ran into a pitch. Um, that kind of changed the way the game was going. Um, you look at the rest of this Rays lineup. Francisco Mejia, solid. G-Man Choi. Knowles us, yeah. Solid. Brandon Lau, below average, barely average. Taylor Walls, awful. Yandy Diaz, cool. admittedly having a good year, but not really hitting for power. Um, Randy Arozarena, largely having an unimpressive year until he kind of turned it around recently. Um, Harold Ramirez, somebody else who's kind of kicking ass um, inexplicably. Um, So, look, it's a solid team, but the Yankees are supposed to have better players. They're supposed to have better starters. They're supposed to have better depth. And it was shown to them in this series, despite capping this with an exclamation point, keeping the season alive, keeping the vibes not plummeting to rock bottom, that there's still a ton of work that needs to be done here, whether it's figuring out the identity, whether it's putting the right 
pieces in the right places. Um, the Yankees should have never been in this position in this game. They should have never been in this position in the previous two games. They shouldn't have gotten shut out by the Red Sox in two hours and 10 minutes. So lots of things here that are still very problematic to me that don't have me riding high despite one win. Yes, having the 10-game cushion is great, but all it's going to take is losing three out of four to the Jays right now to make it single digits in the with one week left in August, and now you're playing catch-up and you're worried and looking over your back constantly. I don't like what the Yankees did with August. I think it set a poor tone, and the fact that you theoretically needed a moment such as this, a walk-off grand slam down three in extra innings because you're underperforming for the first nine innings, um, speaks volumes to the hole that I think management kind of dug this team into. Without last night's game, though, they are hopeless. Yeah, like that is 100%. that is the end. Yeah, yep. the, the season the season was over for like eight minutes last night. Yeah, after after Chapman allowed the three run double, the season was over. Um, and, and I know you can. I, and people are going to laugh, and people are going to non Yankee fans are going to clip this. Um, non Yankee fans are so fun because uh, they uh, they mock every what do they mock you right they they say you say 27 rings right they're like oh all you all you care about is the past 27 rings but then when a yankee fan is like wow i really hope we don't gag a 17 game lead over the blue jays in the al east they're like what are you crying for you guys have 27 world championships what are you talking about you won one in 2009 <laughs> so you're you're both not allowed to be proud of your franchise's history and you're also not allowed to complain about the present because of your history so like your life will be a better place once you just realize they don't they don't care what you think they don't care what you think at all they they, whatever you think they believe the opposite however you behave they think you're behaving wrong because they hate you and they hate what you stand for so that's it and that's all but if the new york yankees had watched their lead on on july 9th the day when they got walked off by the red sox where they took a lead in extras on the road and then lost it in the bottom of the inning on the road got walked off by alex verdugo hopefully not so coincidentally a very similar game to last night's game similar dire circumstances one run larger on the comeback hopefully those two serve as bookends of a horrible streak there's really no discernible reason to think that they will and i'm not going to tell you like yeah the series against the jays is going to kick ass because we came from the dead in extra innings last night i could never tell you that they're short one clay holmes and one michael king in the bullpen they're short one john carlos stan and one matt carpenter in the lineup these call-ups are not going to, you know, I love Oswaldo Cabrera. I'm pretty confident that Giancarlo Stanton in his prime would be a better addition to this lineup than Oswaldo Cabrera. <laughs> but I, I, there are tangible reasons why they're struggling. But that said, they were, you know, on July 9th, they were 17 up on Toronto and they were many up on many other teams. I think their overall lead in the East was 15 at that point on Tampa and then Boston was right there. Either way, 17 up on Toronto. And if they'd lost yesterday, it would have been nine entering a four game set in the Bronx, entering that set in the middle of a two and 12 stretch with all the momentum flowing in the wrong direction. And you were starting games going, how are we going to blow this one? What kind of loss is it going to be tonight? Are the bats going to be dead silent? That's what we did the last three in a row. We, we had qualities. The Yankees have lost their last six quality starts, an unbelievable streak. And we just were coming off three in a row of those of being shut out in two hours at Fenway being shut out in just over two and a half hours on Monday against the Rays and then being, you know, 3-1 game. They didn't have an RBI in the Tuesday loss. It was an error on a dribbler to third by Miguel Andujar, who came back up, had to go back down. That wasn't working. So we're in the middle of the offensive doldrums. And if they lose that game, they're going to be nine up on Toronto with no end in sight to the slide. And, they're also going to be eight up on Tampa, who all of a sudden had passed Toronto because Toronto was struggling. Toronto has been struggling for like a month now, too. They've been a 500 team, essentially, a little under 500 since that July 9th date. If the Yankees were playing average baseball, they would have expanded their lead to 18 or 19, not watched it fall to 10. That cushion of the 10-game lead was giving the Yankees all this leeway to say, let's just hang out. Not that they weren't trying, because that's a bullshit excuse. They were trying to win baseball games and pressing like crazy because they were starting to feel it spiral out of control. But the reason Giancarlo Stanton was so slow to return it on the IL was because they were taking it easy. The reason Luis Severino is on the 60-day IL is because they were taking it easy. 
The reason Jordan Montgomery was traded for Harrison Bader, who can't come back until mid-September, is because the Yankees didn't think they needed to do anything until mid-September and definitely didn't think that they needed Jordan Montgomery, who's 3-0 and in three starts with an 0.64 ERA, in order to coast until September. Everything the Yankees were doing on the field was telling you they couldn't afford to coast and that they didn't know how to coast and that they were pressing while they were trying to coast. So watching that lead get halved when it should have gotten expanded, plus the drama of the Chapman moment, the strikeout with the bases loaded, the first time he's faced control problems since coming back, the 0-2 pitch to Francisco Mejia and the three-run double. If they lose that game 7-4 in extras, that's not just another loss. That is the end. They're losing three out of four to Toronto at worst. They're probably getting four games swept by Toronto. And then suddenly it's maybe four up on the Rays, five up on Toronto, and DeGrom and Scherzer are coming in for the Mets series. I'm not saying that the Toronto series is going to go great now. I'm not saying they're splitting it. All we're saying is that they do have a 10-game lead. That's a real cushion. It would have felt so much dicier at eight. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Yankees saved their season. I'm just saying it would have been over had they lost the way they lost yesterday. And it was over for eight minutes. And again, that doesn't mean they absolutely would have blown the division lead. It just means that the season would not have ended the way that you wanted it to. If they had lost last night the way they lost, the way they almost lost last night's game. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that the the energy surrounding this team has been terrible. It's, you know, once again, it's been 2021 vibes. So they needed something of tremendous magnitude as a walk-off grand slam. A walk-off grand slam down three is just about as big as you could potentially turn it around if, if you have any interest in turning it around. So once again, we'll see what they do with this momentum because how many times this year have we seen, you know, teams like, the Red Sox just squander momentum. They whooped our ass. They came back after um, going down um, uh, uh, 0-2 in that first four-game series at Fenway. They, you know, they scratched and clawed, and they, they they embarrassed us those next two games. And then they go to Tampa and they lose four straight. Um, so it all depends on what you do with the momentum. Um, am I fully convinced that the Yankees are going to parlay this momentum with some sort of positive outcome? No. Am I rooting for it? Absolutely. Root for it every day. Um, My comments might be negative, but that's just because what I'm watching is not instilling any confidence in me. And um, it's making me feel worse watching non-competitive at-bats, watching Aaron Hicks helicopter his way into an error in center field. Um, You know, the list goes on and on. Um, it's been very boring. You see the beat writers tweeting. This is not just fans. These are beat writers at the stadium saying, this is a boring brand of baseball. Yeah, because nobody nobody really wants to play baseball, it seems, on this team. It's it's a very it's it's very bizarre when you look at when you look at who's playing, how they're playing, and what the outcome is. Because I said it last night. I've watched a ton of baseball in my life. I am 32 years old. I've had MLB TV for the past five, five to eight years. Um, I've been watching Yankees and Mets growing up my entire life. I have never seen a team with this much talent play like a rebuilding organization at times. And I understand there are peaks and valleys in any given season. Teams, you know, we watch, for example, like, the Astros last year, I think the Orioles went to Houston last year and swept the Astros in four games. Yeah. And the Astros scored like they, – they, they maybe scored like six total runs all series. Astros just got swept by the A's this year too, yeah. like a couple weeks crazy, ago. Like crazy things happen, and it's understandable. Crazy things happening for a month? Crazy like play that you would never expect from the supposed best team in baseball then turning into a bottom five team for an entire month? regardless of injuries like yes injuries have hurt this roster absolutely there is no question about it but you mean to tell me that guys like 
Andrew Benintendi, like Glaber Torres, like Josh Donaldson, like, like, I don't know. How can none of those guys, with the exception of Glaber's big hit last night, how can none of those guys can positive positive and Donaldson last night positively contribute? There's been no consistent positive production. Nobody has been able to step up. And to me, that's a problem with the roster construction. Your roster is supposed to be built to absorb one or two costly injuries or else what are you doing? You're heading into a season saying, Hey, you know what? Looks like we, everybody has to stay healthy or else that's it. So we'll just figure it out after that. If you're doing that, then that means there's not enough depth. And that means you don't rely on the other starters that you have. Yankees can't rely on hitters two through four to determine their, or one through three to determine their fate every single night. There's no, there, there's no sustainability there. Um, for a team as unlucky with injuries as the Yankees have been for what, five years now, I don't even know how it's a thought in the team's brain to even consider potentially being low on talent or low on players that could step in for injury. And that's what makes these roster moves. Let's get into them now. Mm-hmm. Even more frustrating or the delay of roster moves, even more frustrating. Do I love Oswaldo Cabrera and Esteban Floreal being here? Absolutely. Could these moves have been made three weeks ago? Also, absolutely. There have been players have been slumping for weeks into July. We talked about at the All-Star break how this team badly needed the All-Star break to get a rest because so many people were struggling and not really on track. They get the All-Star break and the problems persist for another 10 days. And then you're sitting there and you think you make reinforcements at the deadline and then you fuck up by taking all the shine off the deadline with the Jordan Montgomery trade and you don't think that maybe a reinjection of youth could maybe fix that. Um, so now we have Ron Marinaccio is back, who should have never been gone, as he further proved again last night. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Esteban Flor- Florial Manning center field, which I don't even care if he strikes out every at bat. I'd rather him in center field than Aaron Hicks. Um, and you have Oswaldo Cabrera, who can bounce around the infield, can play second, shortstop, and third. He started at third last night, responded to his roll call in tremendous fashion, talked to the media before the game, happy to be here. I want more guys that are happy to be here. <laughs> I want more guys that enjoy the moment and the spectacle um, and have some sort of feeling of, of, uh, of um, belonging and uh, some feeling of fun of, Oh my God, I'm playing for the, I'm playing baseball for the New York Yankees. This is sick. Want more of that. It just seems like more of it's dejected. The criticism is getting in their head. The fans booing them or getting them in their head. Like what was Hicks's comments the other day? He got like upset about being booed yeah. um, after saying, if I'm that guy in the lineup, then so be it. If I'm not, then it is what it is. Like, what is that? That means nothing. After the guy who said, we want to have some fuck you this year, that's going to be your response <laughs> in August <laughs> when the team is sliding. Now you're just going to be like, yeah, actually, I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter at this point. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. Just absolutely insane to me. So there's always been some like – for example, Josh Donaldson was this team's agitator for the first two months of the season, and then he stopped being the agitator after the Tim Anderson incident. So we lost that edge, or whatever that edge was, it's 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 no longer there. He shelled up. He's no longer talking shit, whether it was because of that incident or whether it's because he's been miserable for the last two and a half months of play. We don't have that edge anymore. And then there's injuries. Garrett Cole is pleading for a spark. Your highest paid player is pleading for a spark. That means the spark is long overdue, which again, further proves the front office has no pulse on the clubhouse, which once again, I'm excited about these roster moves should have came a lot earlier, could have prevented this slide from occurring longer. I'm excited. There is an immediate impact yesterday, not necessarily in the box score, but well beyond it. Cabrera talking to the media saying this is the best day of his life. He's got endless swagger in the post game. He's got this dangling single Barry Bonds earring from his left ear. His whole family is there. Uh, he almost blows the first play of his career, like an easy pop-up to third that he somehow loses and gets back. He does blow the first throw of his career. He throws into the dirt and has to Miguel Herman to scoop it. It doesn't go smoothly, right? But the Yankees have enough of a lead, and I know all of this contradicts, you know, Oh, the season's over if the lead gets down to eight. 
But you call the kids up who can spark you when you're up eight, nine, ten. You don't do it when you're up five and the Jays have already taken three from you and you're trying to avert a sweep. You do it. I would have done it at the start of this Rays series after the Red Sox lost. But two days later, not the worst thing in the world. Now, Cabrera doesn't even have a game that really matters. He gets under a pitch in his first at-bat and almost pops a 2-0 fastball over the wall, but doesn't, strikes out twice, goes over four, and looks a little bit shaky on defense. He's more of a shortstop second baseman than he is a third baseman, even though he plays all three. It is what it is. Floreal doesn't do anything at the plate. He makes a great shoestring catch to get Ron Marinaccio out of a tough inning. Marinaccio obviously has an immediate impact. He's in the mid-20s in pitch count. He covers the seventh and eighth inning after Lou Trevino struggles a little bit. He pitches basically the most important innings of the game. Scott Efros with a great ninth. Earldis Chapman comes in with a guy on second. Uh, the Manfred runner, for whatever reason, I don't want him ever pitching extra innings ever in my life for the rest of time. But Marinaccio... So after one game of the new era, Marinaccio is the only one who really did a job because yeah. he's someone who's been here before and they basically just reinserted him into a role he's already played and he succeeded again. <coughs> Florian makes one great defensive play, doesn't hit and gets pinch hit for eventually, but I super, super don't care because that spot can't be Aaron Hicks anymore. So I want to give whoever is being called up a long leash. Cabrera should be starting several times a week. I would have said prior to the end of last night's game that he should give Donaldson a breather every once in a while. Now I think Donaldson could probably, we could let that guy live. Uh, I give him three weeks of immunity. I hope that was such a huge hit. Huge, 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 huge. I still do want Cabrera in three to four times a week. Even if he's not playing though, he provides significant intangibles. Even if Florial is not hitting, he cannot be worse than Hicks, who according to win probability added, is the worst player in baseball. If you're adding him to your roster, he is more likely on a day-to-day basis to give you a loss, to influence a loss, than anybody else. So Florial is going to have a few weeks here where he should be starting a lot. Mm-hmm. Now that leaves Aaron Hicks as the first guy off the bench. Last night he's pinch hitting for IKF. I would never have done that in a million years. You just bunt IKF if you don't want him hitting that badly. But apparently we need to see Aaron Hicks up again and leading off the bottom of the ninth in a big situation. Great. Florial has a genuine opportunity. Cabrera, I'm not sure how often he plays. But again, the Marwin Gonzalez roster spot that gets seven at-bats in a month and a half and goes 0 for 7 is just, it's dead. It's a hole. It doesn't get used. Cabrera's hero is apparently Marwin Gonzalez. He was somebody he watched growing up. Uh, That has to be fake. That can't be real. But assuming that is real, and he really was excited to be on the same team as Marwin Gonzalez, it's nice that Marwin didn't lose his roster spot. It's also nice that DJ is not injured enough to go on the IL yet, apparently. I'm not calling that one a finished product. I can't guarantee he's going to play tonight until he plays tonight, even though he pinched it yesterday. But you've now got uh, a guy whose energy has helped prop up a roster all year, and you've got a guy filling an absolute black hole. The Yankees went 75% of the way as far as they could have gone with these call-ups. They could have called up Oswald Peraza. They still have not done that. There's another button to press if they need to do it again. But right now, these are call-ups that have 100% approval rating. Clay Holmes, whether the injury is real or not, is on the IL with a back injury, laughing as people ask him to recount a story of why his back is hurt. Uh, Additionally, uh, he was replaced by somebody who immediately slots into the back end of the bullpen. Hicks and Floreal, easy, 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 easy. And Duhar and Floreal, also easy. And uh, Oswaldo Cabrera, instant energy injection, there's whether these are half measures, whether they should have been done weeks ago, that's up for debate, but there is no arguing that they are valuable maneuvers. And again, one more play left in the playbook. If you want to do something else. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know how, I, I just don't know how you don't do it earlier. Uh, that That's really, I, I don't, I don't know how we can debate that, but it, it's crazy to me. It was, it's been so obvious. It's been so obvious that long stretches of poor play have plagued this team, right? 2020, even though it was a shortened season, they never really like, they never really had a stretch where you're like, wow, they look good. Like this is, this is great. It was always treading water. 2021 was absolutely bad all around start to finish bad. Um, A couple of good two week stretches in there um, that 
didn't turn things around or didn't play a big enough role to turn things around. And now you have such a good first three months and you're approaching a second half where it's important to start it off fast. It's important to set the tone with the trade deadline, with some sort of um, uh, good performance out of the break. Cause you know, the schedule got altered and you knew you were facing the Astros. Um, and maybe these players don't move the needle, but you know, at least at that point you're trying something. Marwin Gonzalez getting no at bats for what since the end it's nine at bats since July 24th and his last hit came on July 6th and it was off a position player um, in the blowout against the pirates. Yeah, What are we doing with that? Are you saving Marwin Gonzalez for the postseason? If so, how do you think he's going to be ready for the postseason if you're not playing him and B, why are you not telling people this? Um, The, it's I don't even know what to say because it's fucking crazy to me. It's all just so crazy to me. You have an option in Oswald Peraza who is there who might not be blowing the doors off at AAA, but guess what? Once again, not every prospect's journey is fully linear. It just isn't. You know, Michael Harris just got a an eight-year, $72 million extension from the Atlanta Braves after playing. Did he even play any games at AAA? Honestly, did he? think he might have played – he mostly had double-A experience before he – He got called up straight from double-A. Yeah, he got called up straight from double-A, and now he's getting – now he has a fucking contract extension that sets him for life. There's no foresight with the Yankees with this. They wait forever to call up their prospects, and at that point, the pressure is heaped on these prospects. There's already enough pressure being a Yankees prospect, right? There is the pedigree of playing for the Yankees – and there's always the pedigree of taking over the next position. This instance, it's shortstop. In previous years, it's been starting pitchers. Oh man, the Yankees have had trouble, you know, getting starting pitchers to you know come through the system and be homegrown talents. Like who's going to be next? Um, there's always there there is always that inherent pressure of being in New York and then taking over a legend's position or taking over a position that has had a dearth of talent for so long that needs an infusion that could reawaken New York and reawaken the fan base. So to add more pressure onto prospects and bring it to the point where you're like, all right, well, <laughs> well, we're, uh, we're eight 17 since the all-star break and we're starting a crater. So, you know, let's hope three promotions, you know, let's hope these guys are going to turn it around for us. No, call them up. So the, so the Setting for them is at least a little bit more favorable than, hey, we're approaching rock bottom, so let's see if something will work. Call them up when the Yankees are firing on all cylinders and inserting them into the seven or eighth hole is going to be beneficial and relaxing and fun instead of, oh, we got to put you in the sixth hole and you're going to need to get hits now. Um, So I just don't agree with any of their decision-making on that front. I don't understand why this bizarre veteran-heavy approach always reign supreme when it's clear that you don't need this many veterans in the room. In fact, this many veterans in the room might be not conducive to the environment that you're creating. You have too many older players in the room who have different, you know, are at different points in their career. And I don't even know, maybe they're, maybe some are paid and they're fine with being what they are. Maybe some are hellbent on winning a championship. You know, you learned about, the potential disconnect between Brett Gardner and um, Garrett Cole last year, which was weird. We still don't know if it's true, but there are differences with veterans. There's no hierarchy to me in this locker room. Aaron Judge, the de facto captain, sure. But like, to me, does Garrett Cole carry any presence to you? Does Giancarlo Stanton carry an overwhelming presence to you? I think if we had younger DJ LeMayhew, like all these guys are kind of peers, And there's no like, oh, this is the top dog. And then, you know, here's a bunch of other guys influencing other players. It just doesn't really feel like it's like that. And it's because there's not many young players on this team. And it's because there is really no order. It's just we have these players. These are the veterans that are here. And this is what we're going with. And this is our formula. So we're going to see it through. That's my issue with the Yankees. It's always... Here's the formula, and we can't deviate from this formula, even though if we're watching it fail over and over again. Um, so, yeah, for example, like to me, not getting rid of a Hicks, not trading Glaber when his value was the highest, not figuring out a way to find somebody to take Josh, Josh Donaldson's money, not doing one of those deals at the trade deadline 
is insane to me. And then offloading Jordan Montgomery, who was not only a regular season asset, we can discuss postseason asset all we want, was not only a regular season asset and helped lengthen this pitching staff and save the bullpen, but he was also beloved by a, n- a number of his peers. So the fact that the Yankees still have not noticed that this is not the way to do business and this is not the way to win a championship while you have, you know, for example, the Braves doing what they're doing. We've mentioned that ad nauseum at this point, so I won't get into it. How about the Astros who lost Carlos Correa and said, yeah, you know what? We got Jeremy Pena, so that'll be fine. We'll be okay. Um, How about the Dodgers who gave a number of their top prospects opportunities this year, whether the opportunity necessarily called for it or not. Ryan Pepio has started six or seven games for the Dodgers. Yes, that was kind of necessary because of injuries to the rotation. But Miguel Vargas came up when he didn't exactly need to come up. James Outman came up when they had outfield depth to kind of make it work, but they just wanted to give guys another chance and give them some MLB experience because you never know what can happen down the stretch. You never know if you're going to need these guys. So bring them up sooner, give them a taste of what's going to come and put them in a favorable situation so they're not shell-shocked every time they come up. Um, and I just don't understand this roster, roster construction. And I'll never understand uh, the lack of deviating from any sort of plan. And that's what frustrates me with Brian Cashman the most. Um, on a positive note, though, because I forgot to mention it earlier, Scott Efros, I didn't trash that de- deadline deal. I was just like, are you sure that this is something that is going to kind of replace the status quo that we had that was really good? Uh, seems like it is. Mm-hmm. Scott kicking ass, showing that emotion. Um, getting out of big spots, called upon fucking immediately, and is doing the job. So those are more guys that I want. That's the energy that I want, um, and I just would like some sort of variation when you see things are going wrong for five-plus weeks. I don't know. I don't know if I'm fucking crazy. Yeah, it's like he's he's the Yankees' Alex Vessia. Uh, yeah. Ross, we love it. Uh, I mean, who who's the clubhouse leader of the Yankees here? Like, it, it's tough to tell because, like, I think they imported Josh Donaldson to be that guy – but then he had some controversy surrounding his name at the end of May and disappeared for a few weeks, hit the IL. When he came back, said he wished the Yankees had his back more. That poisoned the well a little bit. It yeah. feels like that guy probably wasn't in control of the message. But last night, hugging Glaber, putting his head in his chest, saying, we're back, does kind of feel like he might be that guy to a certain extent. I mean, LeMayhew's going to do it silently. Judge is going to do it a little louder than LeMayhew, but still pretty silently. It's either somebody all brand new like Donaldson or it's like Garrett Cole or, you know, the, the rotation as a whole, Tyone and Montgomery before he was down. Uh, would we be down for a full rebuild of the Yankees roster? I mean, absolutely not. They're, no. they're you know, a 70, 73 win team at this point. They've collapsed for a few weeks now, but a couple of people got to go. A couple of tangible changes can be made. I wouldn't call deleting uh, if Judge leaves. No, I, I don't want to go through a full rebuild in that instance either. Um, that they they are too good and too rich and too valuable to ever have to do something like that. That's why it makes me mad when Red Sox fans are always touting like, yes, now is it? Oh yeah, let's fail. Let's do a teardown. Let's get the number seven pick because that's always a home run. It's always so easy to like. It, that's no MLB draft slot is sacred. You're you're not drafting you know Zion Williamson one one. You you might get lucky at twenty eight. Mike Trout's going at the bottom of the first round. Like, I'm always trying to compete if I have the Yankees payroll. If I don't, then yeah, I'm happy to execute a full rebuild. But if I have the Yankees payroll, I'm trying to call up some prospects and patch holes next year. That's just how it is. Yeah. In terms of when these guys should have been called up, I I do think it's more, you know, I don't really need to use Oswaldo Cabrera when they're riding the wave, when they're at their hottest. I don't really need to promote him in the middle of June. I like using these guys as spark plugs every so often. I would have made the move probably a week ago. I would have had him join him on the road trip, get acclimated, tough surroundings, come back to Yankee Stadium, yeah. have your have your you know roll call thing ready. Floreal's obviously been here already. That's why that was somewhat underwhelming. It's like, why haven't we just tried that? I mean, I don't know. And now we're doing it. Um, you know, it's, that was an easy one. That should have been Floreal was up at like the end of May. I don't even know why he had to go down at that point. Like, yeah. You know what Tim LaCastro is? He's a guy who comes up in September because he's a pinch runner, but he's not somebody who's going to hit over 170. He's not somebody who's going to post an OPS plus of over 75. Like, you call him up when rosters expand. You don't need to use a roster spot on him. You could just use that on Florial, have him play two or three times a week. 
I understand you want him to play more than that. His development is finally hitting this peak. Development's not linear. He's making progress. You don't want to stunt that by taking him out of the lineup. Good. Yeah. Then play him. Stunt Aaron Hicks. Aaron <laughs> Hicks doesn't need to play. Stunt that guy. He's already made his money. He's already getting paid. Uh, and now your final point that the Yankees would, would benefit from not having had the August trade deadline eliminated it's now gone. There's no more helping yourself unless veterans are getting DFA, right? Your only options for improvement are calling up a Cabrera and Florial and Marinaccio or finding ways to send guys who are struggling to the injured list or waiting on waiver claims, waiting on other players to get DFA. But those people by default are 10% difference makers, 5% difference makers. It's players who are getting cut from other competitive teams and other teams that are flatlining. Why did the A's slice Elvis Andrews? I'm not sure. Elvis Andrews is a fine backup shortstop. His numbers are actually better than IKFs this year. He's got a 97 OPS plus. If that had been their stopgap, sure. But he's not in his prime. He's way past his prime, and he never hit for power even in his prime. You think Elvis Andrews uh, is a better player than he is. He's got about 2,000 hits. It's kind of nuts. He was an all-star as a very young man. He's somebody who I viewed as a potential future Hall of Famer, but even in his younger days, he was just hitting singles and his OPS pluses were like 70, 75, 80. Not a great baseball player, sort of a dying breed. That's the kind of name that gets floated out there now, who's available in the middle of August because he's getting cut. Bradley Zimmer just went to the Phillies. You want Bradley Zimmer in the outfield? I'd rather have on Florial. Bradley Zimmer already got cut by the Blue Jays because he can't hit. And he's yep. fast, but he, he's got no bat. So these are the type of upgrades you're able to get on the waiver wire now. Uh, you know, 3%, 4% upgrades at best, but odds are low that they're even going to help you more than some anonymous name in your minor league system. The August waiver trade deadline used to be real. You used to be able to get Justin Verlander at that thing. You used to be able to watch teams fall out of the race over the couple of week period between July and August and go, I'm plundering that dude. And there are teams that the Yankees could be picking apart right now and vulturing that they do not have the ability to touch. Yeah. And that Justin Verlander deal rule ruined it all. That was the, that, but that correct me if I'm wrong. That was the last waiver deal ever done. Uh, great question. I actually, oh, no, uh, I'm sorry. It I was banned after 2018 because I think they saw the, 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 the impact of the Verlander deal. So Alavila folks, Fired as the Tigers GM like, two weeks ago, last week. Mm-hmm. Should have been fired years ago. Don't know how he was allowed to see things go through. Um, one of these, you know, one of these black marks on his resume is trading Verlander. Understandably, you didn't need him, right? Team sucks, paying Verlander a ton of money. Verlander's over the hill, whatever. You trade Verlander to a contender for pitcher Franklin Perez, outfielder mm-hmm. Daz Cameron and catcher Jake Rogers to the Astros who were in the middle of contention that year. You completely tipped the scales of that playoff race of the AL for the next five years. And then none of those prospects pan out for you. Not a single one. So you went 0 for 3 in the trade. You completely altered the American League picture um, from, you know, a regular season and postseason standpoint. Um, And I think that's why MLB ended up banning it. But in this situation, I think, and I don't know if this is crazy, I think the deadline should be mid-August. And this is not any sort of revisionist history here. I'm not sitting here looking like, oh man, if the Yankees could have waited two weeks, they could have had you know more, more of a pulse, uh, more of a, a gauge on what's going on. The fact of the matter is, is that the beginning, uh, like you know, you're uh, what, 15 games into the second half at that point, you don't know. If you're going to contend, yeah, you can be ballsy and buy like the Braves did last year, but they mostly went bargain shopping. Um, you can be ballsy like the Padres and buy and still not really know what's going to happen because they don't know what's going to happen on a yearly basis, apparently, in San Diego. Um, but to sit there and like think you at, you know, what's your record at that point? Maybe you're maybe like 52 and you, you may be 53 and 53. Like this is when the deadline is like hmm. at this point. Looking at the uh, looking at the standings, like the Giants, who were unsure if they should sell or not, ended up not selling, and now they pro- they're probably looking at the situation and they're like, "Wait a second, should we have sold?" Because now we're fifty nine and fifty eight. We are 
you know, four games back of a wild card spot, and they're fighting against much teams that are much better than them, Cardinals, um, or I'm sorry, Braves, Phillies, and Padres and Brewers. Um, so maybe that convinces them to trade a Jock Peterson or to trade a Carlos Rodon. Um, you look in the AL too, like, I don't know if there necessarily would have been more sellers in the AL, um, but look at the Red Sox. The Red Sox thought they were apparently in an okay position. Now they're just playing 500 ball. Yeah, they're two games back of a wild card spot, but are the Red Sox really going to get there? Should they? Could they have benefited by trading, um, you know, JD Martinez and Anthony Evaldi, um, guys that would have, you know, that that would have changed, tipped the scales. Obviously, the Yankees would not have been in the running for either, you know, anybody on the Red Sox. But you know, you look at a team like the Rockies too. Like maybe the Rockies would have been convinced of trading Jose Iglesias at that point. Okay. Maybe the Rangers would have been more convinced of trading Martin Perez. Um, the Rangers were at the deadline, not, they were bad, but they weren't like egregiously far. I think they were like seven or eight games back of the wild card spot, which that can flip in two weeks, guys. All that takes is one team suffering two bad injuries and then going on a slide. I'm not saying that it's, it's likely and it's possible, but it happens. Do the Tigers revisit their deadline? The Tigers were supposed to be, open for business at this trade deadline. And they ended up trading Robbie Grossman and um, Michael Fulmer. And that was it. They had a bunch of other assets on this team. Maybe at this point, you know, maybe uh, last week they're like, okay, let's trade Andrew Chafin. We have no use for him next year. We're clearly not, you know, going to make any noise. We're not going to make any noise down the stretch. And our outlook for the beginning of next year is bad. Um, And there are plenty of other examples out there, but, now that the trade, the waiver deadline is banned, even though the Yankees never really did momentous work on it, um, it makes you have to be doubly aggressive at the actual trade deadline if you want to make those impact moves and set yourself up for success in September. Um, so I think that we need to there, – there needs to be a, a happy medium that's reached here. Maybe second week of August we're talking trade deadline. That gives you six or seven weeks until the season ends. Um, I think that that's fair. I don't think that's going to, you know, tip any tip any of the scales in a much more crazy fashion. It just gives teams a longer, and even teams that are like in contention at the trade deadline that are like fringe are like, hey, are we should we buy a lot here? Like, do we are we fully like we could use like another week of play? You know, maybe you have a soft seven games on the schedule. It's like let's see how you know the the group of guys can build off of these games and get themselves in a better position. So I don't know. Now that the waiver deadline's been gone for now, this is the third year or fourth year. Um, well, 2020 didn't count because there was only yeah, one deadline. Really. So 2019, 2021, and 2022, it's gone. Something feels empty. Something something needs to be fixed. Imagine Rodon, too, being on the market. I mean, that would have been Crazy. another incredible target for Brian Cashman to be tricked into thinking he was acquiring when he traded Jordan <laughs> Montgomery. <laughs> that would have been a perfect extra pitcher for Brian Cashman to be lied to about acquiring at, right at the deadline, giving up some uh, very important pitching depth. <laughs> Count on us to be cynical on a podcast where like, we should just be celebrating this singular Josh Donaldson game. I very much understood last night people who were like, you just won your freaking World Series celebrating you won the World Series in August. I was like, yes, it truly feels like I escaped hell. Like, I will yeah. celebrate today like I won the World Series in August. Yes, that's what I'll do. I know full well I didn't. I know this could go badly. I'm well aware. The season's not over. I'm well aware of the way things were trending nine minutes ago and also this morning and also last night while I was watching the game. I know. Not going to get blindsided by it. This team's been as bad as they've ever been since the All-Star break. And pretty pretty boring for the two weeks prior to the all-star break as well and we're trailing or we're all these comeback wins in the like two or three weeks before that so they really haven't been solidified as anything resembling a dominant contender since the middle of june even like that series with the rays where they were losing in every single game and fought back to win two there were moments where we were, they lost a really dull game on the road to Pittsburgh that was kind of like, why do we look so flat? And then it just got flatter, and then they they were competing to an embarrassing degree. So, yeah, it did feel like winning the World Series last night. And that's how it should feel. You should feel that exhale when you have a massive regular season win like this. However, that one wasn't even an exaggeration. That genuinely 
uh, takes the anvil off this team's back. I don't know if they're going to be able to pick up where they left off. I really hope they are. But either way, regardless, that gives you something to build on, even if they struggle tonight, to say, remember how we felt when we escaped hell two days prior. It's got them something tangible they can build on with this current roster that isn't the incomplete, like, it's a walk-off memory that doesn't involve Giancarlo Stanton and Matt Carpenter and those guys who aren't here anymore. It's a very modern version of this with a roster that has Cabrera and Florial on it. It's all you can hope for. That is it for this edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We will be more than happy to answer it. We're also going to be live on YouTube and Twitter, 2 o'clock Eastern, Mondays and Thursdays. And going forward, if there's a playoff game that requires us to go live, we're happy to do it. Hopefully the Yankees keep pressing, keep the good foot on the gas, and stay hot. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. It's written right down there. Thomas Carinante, if people aren't watching and rocking with the visuals, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes. You can also talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Um, head on over to YanksGoYard.com. I'll tell you every time at the end of this podcast, we got a ton of content there. Um, Adam's got interesting take on who else should be called up after these roster moves. Remember, folks, we have September roster expansion going up two spots, three spots, two spots. Uh, two. Yeah, two spots. Me. Two more people there's room for. I know people are coming back from injuries and whatnot, but another opportunity to inject some life in this lineup. Pretty interesting to consider. Um, So there's a ton of content there for you to read, pique your interest. Um, And now we're gearing up for the Jays, everyone. Four-game series. Can't shit the bed here because this is the direct competition. This is going to define the rest of the stretch. And then you have DeGrom Scherzer next week. So saying a prayer, um, reach out to us if you want. We're happy to talk. Um, both on Twitter um, and uh, here next week. We'll talk to you next Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube, everyone. Have a good weekend. Correct. Hey, you know the Mets are not going to skip to Grom Scherzer. Even if they could, they won't. So be prepared. This stays tough. Tough schedule, injured team, typical summer doldrums, huge grand slam. See you on Monday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.